Yeah. And he also said, surf is where you find it. Yes. And then he also told me when I asked him, Jerry, you're a Buddha. Talk to the people at La Paloma Theater. Give the people wisdom, Buddha. He just said, breathe through your nose. Welcome to Nature Junkie Radio. This is a place for us to explore the wisdom, wonder, and ways of nature connection to help replenish your stoke. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the ride. Hey everyone, before we get into this episode, I would love to hear how you microdose nature. If you're up for it, get out your phone and record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute. Tell me your name, where you're from, describe how you microdose nature, and how it makes you feel. Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. I'll read it again. Hello at naturejunkielife.com. And I'd love to share it on a future episode of the podcast, just like this one right here. Hi, Jeff. This is Michelle and Sheila. Hi, Jeff. We're out kayaking in Dana Point Harbor. It's a beautiful day. It's sunny and blue skies and so the water's so nice and calm. Seals, seagulls. Seals and the seagulls are dancing all around, picking out fish in the ocean. Nice, nice. Lots of seaweed. And yeah, oh, lots of seaweed. Lots of seaweed today and the seals are bopping up and down. Yeah. That's about it. We're having a great day and we love your podcast. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for sharing your kayaking microdose of nature, Mom. Yep, that's my mom enjoying some ocean time with her friend Sheila. I love hearing the giddiness in your voices, and I'm glad you're out there enjoying it. All right, on to the show. Today, our guest is a guy who has the word Zen in his name. Luke Winson returns to the show for a full-length episode. Luke was on the show for Microdose Nature, episode number six, where he led us through meditation three ways. Please check that out in case you missed it. Luke has been a yoga, breathwork, and mindfulness teacher for the past 15 years and also worked as a public high school special education teacher for 18 years. He's the co-founder of Our Breath Collective and the founder of Inner Echo. Luke has been curious his entire life about the greater mystery of this human experience. He's studied with many masters and a wide range of practices from yoga for its physical embodiment and therapeutic healing approaches to various breath techniques, energy medicine, martial arts, and several schools of meditation. Luke passionately shares wisdom from his own direct experiences in the interest of furthering the benefits of healing and awakening to himself and others in his life and communities. Truth be told, Luke and I originally recorded an episode, and when we checked in with each other afterwards to see how it felt, we were both kind of feeling like, ah, it was a bit off, the day wasn't right, and we thought we should re-record. So in true Zen fashion, we decided to begin again, and I'm glad we did. We open up today's convo with a brief meditation guided by Luke. Then we dive into his early nature influences of feeling the sharp changes of the seasons in the Northeast. We talk about his journey to each of these practices and how he learned to reframe his relationship with pain from a yoga-induced back injury. We get into how he weaves together yoga, meditation, and breath work, 
as gateway practices for revealing your true nature, living in a greater sense of wholeness, and living from the heart. We discuss the subjective similarities between psychedelics and meditation spurred by an old-ass quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And of course, we learn how Luke defines nature and how he microdoses it regularly. Let's get into it. Luke, welcome to the show. Jeff, I am stoked to be here on the show. We begin again. Yes, we do. And that, <laughs> and not the truth. <laughs> I thought it would be really cool to have you just lead us in with a quick meditation. Great. For everyone. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. One of my teachers, longtime teachers, says empty out before we begin. So just take a moment and close your eyes and know that that's actually uh, much easier said than done. So just come into the recognition of the kind of speed of the running software of being in your body without the eyes open. And just uh, quickly scan and relax the area of your face and feel your breath. But stay in the area of your face and your head and just let your whole front facing part of your face, let all of that structure let go of, of muscular tension that you've held within it today, mostly unconsciously. And just begin to sense that you're seeing through the wholeness of your face as if there's a hole in your face from the back of your skull. And notice that you've kind of wiped clean or you've sort of emptied out expression. And so from the back of the skull, just allow the back of the jaw to soften and the lower jaw to loosen and the tongue to relax in your lower jaw. And then from the well of your throat, kind of explore through sensing, listening, touching the space inside of your chest, inside of your torso. Just notice that there's a quality of quiet that's already here. And so that the, the invitation would be to let go of the running mind to drop into more of a meditative mind or a reality of what's always here. And as you <clears throat> let your attention anchor onto your breath, you'll open your awareness in a way where you may see directly for yourself that where your breath and your body meet is the present moment, is actually present moment reality. And you can continue as you follow the breath in the middle of your torso kind of feel the vibrational aliveness innate and inherent within as you follow the breath just to feel this opportunity to again and again let your mind let your thinking mind drop into the larger context of what's here and the quiet that's here and just notice that you can sense the body differently now you can sense the environment that's holding the body in it differently now you can sense in a way, if you tune in, that the body is held in this environment. And you actually have initiated at least the process of emptying or clearing out. And then out of that, you can open the eyes back up and feel the room through your eyes. <sighs> Thank you. Pleasure. I really needed that. I was pretty scattery this afternoon. I, it was like the first time I settled in to myself today. Nice. <laughs> I think. Nice. I hope everyone else felt that as well. Yeah. Same here. 
When did nature first come into your life in a way that struck you as if, whoa, there's something a little bit more magical going on here than meets the eye? Um, I, I reflected on this, Jeff, and I remember when I was very young, it was the first house my parents lived in, which we moved out of when I was six or maybe seven. Um, and it was in the first house, um, in Northern Virginia. And I remember it snowed. I must've been four or maybe five. Um, but it snowed and I opened our porch door at night and there was maybe a, maybe six inches of snow on the ground, which was mystical and beautiful and magical just to watch. Right. But I stepped outside with bare feet to step in the snow, to touch it. And I remember that it felt like standing in fire. Um, and there was a, an aliveness to it. Now I'm not saying that as if to insinuate that I'm some cold guy. I'm not, I'm total, <laughs> I know this total coward when it comes to the cold. I'm probably really entertaining to watch if you, if you watch me get into a cold tub. Um, but I'm not really, it's, but to your credit, it's, you've done it. I've done it. Yes. I'm in and I'll do it and I'll, I'm into it after I've done it but I'm very challenged by it. But this experience yeah. with my foot touching the snow in a way um, showed me a kind of a fierceness to nature. And then growing up in Northern Virginia, um, at, always as a kid, I really loved the um, particular sharp turns of seasons that could happen, right? Like all of a sudden it would be summer, you know, and it would be like humid and hot. And then all of a sudden in September, there'd be a distinct night where it was like, the, the temp got cool and you could just feel summer's over boy, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, definitely by like, by after October, after, th after Halloween, you could feel a turn that like it's winter is coming. The trees would strip and, uh, would be stripped, you know, the, and, um, and I was never really into spring, but there was definitely a component of growing up where there was like rains and this little, increase of warmth. Um, and then my parents took me, um, every summer we would go to Long Island where my dad was from to visit his side of the family. And we would go like to, um, this dock down the street from his house. He grew up in this little town called Blue Point in Patchogue in the middle of Long Island. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was like hot and near New York city. And there was just an aliveness in New York city, but we'd drive through the city and we'd get to Long Island and we would go like crabbing and fishing and swimming at this beach. And, um, it, it was like, you know, there was like crabs that were like on the ground. I got pinched by crabs as a kid. And so I was like kind of scared of that, but then I'd catch crabs in crab traps and, and we'd cook them with old Bay seasoning. My grandma would cook them. And, um, yeah. So, that was like one side of it. That was like particular, our summers were like that of going to the beach and the ocean, um, in, in Long Island. And then, um, in the fall, my parents often would take us out to like, um, this area in Virginia called Lurie Caverns. And, you know, we drive out through like the Virginia countryside and just mm -hmm. see so many colors of leaves changing. And it was just always so special. Um, and you knew it was temporary. I mean, as a kid, I always knew it was temporary. Like this is a short window to see this right now before all these leaves fall and are gone. And as you got further into, you know, October and late October, 
whenever we went out at those times, like later in the fall, you could see more of the, like the darker oranges and browns and like the starting to fall away and the, you know, the receding of leaves on trees. And I just always was aware of the turning and churning of seasons and the, the, the inevitability of change, but like in such slow motion that there were these four distinct seasons as I was growing up and I loved summer and I loved fall and I loved when it snowed in the winter spring. I was kind of always like, whatever, <laughs> let's get on. With I love that. that. Let's I get the that. school year over with. Well, I know a couple of themes of people I consider to be nature junkies, visuals, you're opening up your senses, visuals, yeah. the touch from your feet and that tactile sensation, yeah. uh, the noticing of cycles of the transitions and importantly here, and I think this is a good one for parents as well. People that tend to be nature junkies later in life tend to a couple things, have it integrated, which you did. There were lots of different touch points. There mm-hmm. wasn't one, like one moment that was like, ah, that's common. And then also, you know, some one in your family, in this case, it sounds like your dad was maybe the instigator, but you know, oftentimes a lot of other family members expose kids early on to nature in ways that are safe and fun and all yeah. that. So yeah. it sounds like you had a, a lot of lot brewing there. Yeah. Because you teach yoga, meditation, and breath work, I'd love to go back and understand the journey to each of those for you. Like, what was the sequence that you found each of them, and if there was anything pivotal that le- led you to them? Love to hear that story. Sure. I would say that those three really informed each other in an interdependent way to other things. And that really started, if, I, if I'm succinct about it, with surfing. When I started surfing, mm. I started surfing in Charleston, South Carolina. Waves were not very good, but it was good enough that I could paddle and I could get to my feet. I then ended up living for a year in Puerto Escondido. In Puerto, the waves were really intense and full on. And I had many experiences where I was like, you know, ditching my board or having a board break on a paddle out um, or just getting worked. And I found that I was like having to learn how to swim differently and, and be present with my breath. When I moved to California over 20 years ago and I went to my first yoga class, I recognized that there was a breath control element in the movement of the body that was different than anything I'd ever experienced physically before. And initially I felt this will inform and influence my ability to surf, not like when I was in wipeouts, but just in knowing my body and having a loose body. And gradually I got really turned on to just how good I started feeling from the inside out from yoga postural practice. And I really loved the breath aspect through my first couple of years in yoga and the first yoga teacher I practiced with in a committed way, I was invited to my first breathwork experience, which totally blew my mind and blew my heart open. Um, out of that, I just, you know, like it's, it, that, that didn't drive me into breathwork and the study of breath practices. It just reinforced for me, to, for me, the potency of yoga as a practice. Um, that led me to start training in yoga and want to share it because I was already working as a high school teacher and I thought, oh, this could be a nice thing I could do on the side. I really love it. I could share it with people. I already was like bringing people to class with me a lot and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started teaching yoga. I started studying yoga. I loved the breath aspect of yoga. I remembered the breathwork experience I had had. Um, I started teaching at a studio where meditation was on offer and I started going to this weekly meditation class. I had some really deep moments of peace and clarity there. 
um, which was the opposite end. It was more of the yin side of the coin of breath practice. Um, that began to influence my mind in a heart-mind way differently. Um, and then it all just kind of opened up from there. It, just, it took years for it to really kind of like coalesce in a way where it was like something that I was experienced and studied in where I was ready to share it like I am now. I'm still learning. I'm always learning. I'm just curious. It's, there's so much to share. And, um, but yeah, I mean, like one thing, no single thing arose without a cause relative to it, right? Mm. So there was the an interdependence of all things. Mm. Um, uh, but especially when it came to surf and nature, nature stuff, especially surf and snowboarding, yoga, breathwork, and meditation. The intersection of them in the heart of presence is really, was really where it was really like landing mm. for me. You know, Jerry Lopez, I, I'll butcher the quote, but he said something like, you know, surfing is really just learning how to operate in the present moment. Yeah. So that kind of resonates with all those practices, right? Yeah. And he also said, surf is where you find it. Yes. And then he also <laughs> told me when I asked him, Jerry, you're a Buddha. Talk to the people at La Paloma Theater. Give the people wisdom, Buddha. He just said, breathe through your nose. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. I was there for that, I, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> the wisdom of Jerry. Yeah. I love how early in life Luke started tapping into his senses and noticing the quickly contrasting changes of the seasons, along with the sequencing of how his mindfulness practices came into his life. Early on in teaching yoga, Luke was pushing his body hard and suffered an injury to his low back that was not only debilitating physically, but sent him into a bit of a life tailspin as well. In this next part of the conversation, we'll understand the journey he went on to heal his back and how a variety of mind-body practices have come together in his teachings. You were pushing yoga really hard. Yeah. And you got hurt. Yeah. I was, I was teaching fiery, fast, powerful yoga <laughs> with fun music, you know, with like beats and, yeah. and, and heat, like not even in hot studios, but yeah. just like people would come out and my yeah. class is drenched and it was yeah. really fun. And, but it was, it was detrimental on the body. Um, and along this kind of time frame is when I, you know, I thought a lot about that, the breathwork experience with Judith, mm -hmm. but I was scared to take myself through a breath experience like that. I honestly thought some weird shit was going to happen. Like I was opening up some portal and some <laughs> demonic energy could like jump in the room and I'd be like, Oh shit, what are you doing in here? Oh, it's cause I breathed like that. You know, that's not true at all. Oh, no, we opened the portal. Yeah. Shit. Only if that, which was already inside of you that popped out. Yeah. You know? But, um, yeah. So, um, the injury, the, the back injury happened after a couple of years of really bad pain. Um, and, when, once my back injury happened, I knew, um, I couldn't walk for two full weeks and I had to walk with a cane for six months. And I found that this guy I had done some study with actually the guy who says empty out before we begin. Tias little is his name. He's based out of Santa mm -hmm. Fe. He's got a subtle body approach mm -hmm. with yoga. I'd done some practices with him 
and I knew what he taught like. He's older. He's been in the game. He'd been, he's been in the game for 45 years now or something. Um, but he's got a very sophisticated and intelligent and um, uh, sustainable approach with his yoga. And um, so I saw that he was going to be at Esalen. And I wrote him an email. And essentially, like, even once I wrote an email, like, hey, I'm dealing with this injury and I've been teaching yoga. And I had taken a break from teaching school for a year. And I said, like, this is my this is how I make ends meet right now. Can you help me with this? Like, I can't teach. I don't feel it to be authentic to teach something that I'm not practicing. So I need to revise mm. the way that I'm sharing bodily and breath practices. And he just wrote me this long email about like what he could, what that week long training would be like in Esalen and how it could really reinform and reeducate me and um, he'll help heal my body. And then he, he had this teacher that he was bringing with him, which was one of his teachers, this guy named Henry, who was a Zen teacher. And truthfully, I didn't even really have the context to understand what that meant, what a Zen teacher was. Right. right? But he just said, and I had asked him in the email, like, what's up with the Zen thing, you know? And he just said, Henry's brilliant. And so when I went to Esalen, I really thought that I was going to go there and experience the property, which I'd heard a lot about for a lot of years, mm. and the baths, which is its own trip. It's a powerful experience, those waters that have been used for 6,500 years for healing purposes. You know, Those are at Esalen? At Esalen. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the, the hot springs at Esalen. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, the Eastland Indians have been going there for ceremonial purposes for the hot waters. So you can feel that there's a richness of saturated healing that's in those waters, yeah. you know, and it looks over this cliff down into like this yeah. cove. It's, it's, it's totally epic. But I thought that TS was going to heal me, you know, like his approach. And then as soon as Henry began to talk, just teeny bit of context for people. So yeah. the Henry that Luke is referring to is Henry Shookman, yeah. who is Luke's I don't know what's the right way to describe it. Meditation my, my, Zen teacher. He's my longtime meditation teacher yeah. and he's, you know, a longtime mentor yeah. and he's a kind of a close friend of mine and he's sort of like a family member. He's yeah. sort of like my uncle, but he's not, he's, yeah. he's just yeah. an, and an incredibly cool. Human Henry's man. been on Tim Ferriss's podcast yeah. twice. I think really cool conversations if anyone wants to go listen. And he's also on Sam Harris's waking up app yeah. with various Dharma talks, guided meditations. So yeah. anyway, just a little bit of context. Keep going. So you're going to the retreat. Yeah. Or at Esalen. And, and, and just like what, what you just let in with, I mean, to know Henry or to hear Henry is to like immediately love Henry. He's a very love filled yeah. being and he's very poetic and he's British and just, yeah, he's just, he just is so calm in his nature. And when Henry began to speak, there was something that happened inside my being where there was a tremendous amount of emotion that began to move out of me and through me. Um, and finally I had an exchange with Henry in that week where I was able to kind of get one-on-one -on -one with him and say like, this, this shit's happened with my body and my life. And my, I feel like I'm on the brink of collapse and I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know. Cause I had done, you know, for other contexts, I had done so many external healing attempts so many things i had i mean i had drank ayahuasca i had um done tons of different body work tons of different i had done agoscu i'd done acupuncture i'd done tons of different bone manipulation and chiropractic i'd done um i'd gone to all kinds of healers to try to say like put my healing in their hands like mm. fucking heal me i'm in tremendous pain yeah. but i was really like like not turning back into my body, you know, mm. and running away from it in a way. 
And when I met Henry, it was finally like there was somebody that was capable of seeing what was happening with me and saying like the guidance was, here's how you actually address this by stopping. Hmm. You have to stop, you know? And it, and, and it wasn't as dramatic as that, like pull the plug on everything, but it was like take sitting in your body and being in your body seriously by slowing down and making it a point every day to sit in stillness. And then he gave me a range of different mm -hmm. things to address. And they weren't mantra based. They were direct questions, you know, mm -hmm. like who are, who am I? Mm -hmm. What's my original face? Other initiation, breath counting, simple things. And then he, then he said, and I said, now what, what after that? And he goes, then you come to a retreat and see if Zen is for you. And I went to my first retreat a couple months later in Santa Fe and it was a week and it was, it was, it was, it was gnarly. <laughs> It was so hard. It was like my body wouldn't cooperate. My mind acted like a spoiled child that was like throwing a temper tantrum that was literally like saying, no, don't do this. Why, the, why are you doing this? What about me? This isn't fair to me. Yeah. <laughs> what about me? What about all this shit I've done? What about all the yoga stuff I've done? Like, what are you going to do with this? Like, this isn't, this mm -hmm. isn't going anywhere. And part of it knew that it was like, because it was going to actually be faced and seen as the illusion that it is so here the, here's the for everyone um why don't we make sure we close this part of the journey out yeah. your back got better <laughs> well i know you surf a lot <laughs> you seem fine Dude, to me my you back, teach yoga my back totally but, healed but there was a range of reasons why yeah let's hit, hit the reasons okay. real, do the quick version okay the quick version yeah, yeah. um one of the one of the main reasons why is that i started to, to actually speak to my back instead of speak about my back mm. And by speaking to it, I got into a collective healing with it. I got into a recognition that it was a part of me. So I began to integrate it. Now, I still have sensation that comes up in that part of my back, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes. Um, but I stopped projecting out and I stopped making it a, vic a villain and making myself a victim of it. Um, and I think that was huge. And I started to come really into the present moment with it of in this present moment, there is intense physical sensation that I'm experiencing. And that is the end of it. It's, it ends right here where it starts right here. It's right here now. And there was a presence process that began to open up in me and through that. So it became a gateway into this larger dimension of, of presence or heart presence or heart mind, right? Yeah. Of, or meditative listening is another way to put it. Um, I also changed my, my, the speed at which I moved through the world. I slowed mm. down a lot. Mm. I changed how I practiced asana. I was much more cautious. You know, no teacher ever said to me, not one, besides maybe T.S. Little through just his innate way of being, but nobody ever said, if you're gonna attempt to put your body in this contortive or strange pose, mm. think about the implications or the benefits for what happens if you're 80 years old, would you do that when you're 80 years old or 70? And now this doesn't necessarily make sense contextually because yeah. you know, as we change, we, we adopt, right? right yeah. But in terms of like thinking about doing the kind of backbending stuff that I was doing and the pushing on my body um, and how that would relate to my body in the future, I would, I would think like, no, that's not, that's not good for like the future. If it's doing this to me now, what's it gonna do in 20 years? Like, why would I keep mm -hmm. doing this, you know? Um, so I changed my practice. Um, I changed how I sleep. 
Uh, I changed my, the amount of water I drank. That was really big. Um, I just became much more engaged in mindfulness. And that's not like to say that I, it is to say yes, that I began to, a meditation practice, but that meditation practice, the byproduct of it was that it began to, the ripple effect was outward into how I interacted with the world, especially through what I consumed in terms of substance, especially water and the way that I postured my body. I honestly got um, a stern talking to by uh, another friend of mine who lives here, who's older, who's a trip. Um, and he just said, like, pay more attention to how you walk in your body. And that changed things. And he said, and really what he said was like, pay attention as if there's a hand that you are that's above the crown of your head and that's lifting you up. Walk from there with your body. Mm. And walk, and he was like, he's really a groovy, trippy dude, right? And he was like, and he's like, just let it, just be in the flow. Like be in the flow with the body. Like you're walking into like studio, what is it, Studio 54 in New York City <laughs> in 1977, you know? And you're like just groovy with some fresh threads on and they're looking for a single or something. Right. I just that. walk like that. And that changed my, that changed my relation to my body. And I, mm. you know, what was funny, Jeff too, is I started to observe body awareness in people and how often people are wearing what's going on inside of them mm. with their body and the way that they're moving through their body in a very unconscious way. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of things that changed yeah. um, to, to summarize it. I, I want to do that. I want to summarize this, well because I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of pain so yeah. I'm going to play back a couple of things I heard just kind of encapsulate it a little bit Sweet. Uh, meditation certainly helped you bring more mindfulness to every other aspect of your life you let go there was a lightness mm. you changed what you were eat, what you were drinking you changed your practice to be more mindful to be more I found that my level of yeah. consumption changed in terms of what I like read and took in through my eyes that mm. I innately went more into the direction of like just being drawn to reading about truthfully back then it was, um, Ramana Maharshi, uh, I'm Srinya Sarkadatta, a couple of, a couple, I mean, I am that and a couple of Ramana's books talks with Ramana, um, a couple of Tibetan Buddhist books. Mm -hmm. They just, and, yeah. um, you know, and this is way before all that I had read, yeah. Some of the more so generic. information yeah. diet, so to speak, changed yeah. information it's intake, shifting. but also you change the conversation in your mind or, or, or with your back and with pain too. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. Let's move to now. Okay. Which is, uh, you're a teacher of many things, but I also see you as a perpetual student of the mystery of life. Mm -hmm. You teach yoga, breath work, meditation. In fact, you're the co-founder of uh, Our Breath Collective. Yep. We had Reese on the podcast, of course. And you teach each of those things separately, but increasingly, as I go to your classes, it seems like they all get woven together, yeah. where you weave them all together. How do you think about the relationship between these practices? I mean, I think at the core, it comes down to... Um, uh, living in a greater and greater sense of wholeness. And really what that means is living more and more of a sense of from the heart or as the heart or by the heart or living the heart. Um, and I think, you know, yoga is a great example of like, what an opportunity to learn how to love your body. Whereas it's kind of sold where 
not necessarily sold, but the view of it is that like you can get your body to look good, right? That's kind of the surface. Mm-hmm. What about like loving living in the body with mm-hmm. a, with a non grippy attached clench on it, right? But just that opening of the fist on the inside of it and the starting to move it as like physical, you know, energy meets physical with breath. And of course with mind. Um, yeah. I mean, the overlap with them is all tremendous. And I mean, I put together, I put together like a two and a half hour kind of workshop mini training on exactly this. And I've called it like embodying inner alignment, right? Mm. Um, between yoga, asana, a little bit of Qigong and kind of subtle body movement, um, breath and breath, breath work as Mm-hmm. the way that we can isolate and understand like the regions of the body and then and then meditation as these also these three areas really you know like gut gut heart and head or head heart and base ground of being and yeah. as dogan says you know like body like the mountain heart like the ocean mind like the sky yeah. i think they can all lead into this like, this greater sense of like of insight. And so I read mm-hmm. recently the, the, a def, uh, an interpretation of the word insight as understood experience. Mm. So this greater opportunity to really like understand the wholeness of our humanity, but from these little glimpses at a time. It's sort of like, like there's a book I read and this is a great analogy. And this is, and then we can go on to the next thing. There's a book I read that my friend John Ross gave me before I went to Indonesia in 2006. And he told me, when he gave me the book, he said, I want to give you this book. Take it to Indo. Get through it. Just force yourself to get through it. You'll understand why at the end. And then he said, Phil Jackson gave Michael Jordan this book and said, if you, after he won his first championship, he said, if you really want to be a champion, get through this book. And the book was Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Mm-hmm. And it was grueling to get through that book. It was so hard. And it was about quality. And there's like two stories going on. There's part of it is about motorcycle maintenance. The other story is about this father who's a professor at um, Bo- UC, yeah, University of Montana Bozeman on a backcountry motorcycle trip with his 10-year-old son. And he's really intent on understanding the essence of quality, right? Did you read it? Have you read it? I'm laughing because I bought it and I think I read like a quarter of it and I, I ditched out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's sort of like, in a way, uh, practices, all of these practices yeah. are like a, a fraction of understanding motorcycle. Mm. They're like a part of understanding motorcycle maintenance. You know how intelligent you have to be to understand the full maintenance of a freaking motorcycle, how many parts and pieces and the way that they fit together and work together to really know what's up. I mean, so it's like these little, these little fragments at a time. I love that he mic dropped your ass too. He's like, you're going to, he's like, yeah, Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson. That's all I took. You got to finish it. And I finished it. (laughs) I finished it. I needed someone to do that to me. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you just had it. Yeah. I think I just got it. So what do you, when you look out in the world, you know, as you teach these days, what's, there's a lot going on in the world. What do you see people, or what do you think is drawing people to your practice or these practices or this singular practice of greater insight? I mean, I just think that everybody wants to be loved and wants to be happy. 
but that rarely are people taught that the source of that love is to love yourself. That it, when you learn how to love yourself, really, it really cracks open and becomes like a magnet. Now that's not to say to like backdoor it and manipulate it. Right. Um, but when it's true and sincere, I don't know. I've just found that like, there's this, this, this bubbling up of joy and even the bittersweet moments. I mean, there's, there's sadness and joy and joy and joy and, and, and even sadness. Um, but there's this opportunity to be really here for life, you know, versus like to be continually tilted by it, which is what it feels like the world is like for a lot of people. I try not to project that out onto anybody. Um, cause I don't really know. All I know what it's like is to be inside of me. Um, and I happen to ha be really blessed with really wonderful friends and exceptional teachers and incredibly supportive, loving family. Everybody's healthy. Um, but more and more, I, I just like, I think that like, especially relative to technology and information and how the speed at which information comes in through our eyes and how overstimulated we are as a culture and the intensity of the world right now and, and the intensity of our country, um, COVID, everything that's happened, there's just such a, a level of angst that it's like, it's that, cl that clenched fist analogy. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody's walking around with the energy body clenched and prepared and kind of like on edge, whether they realize it or not. Mm. And the opportunity that I like to share with people is like, you can actually learn how to open the fist up inside of you and settle and really settle into the space of your heart which is the physical heart, but it's bigger than that. It's kind of, for, you know, the spiritual heart or the deep heart. And from that, there's a trusting that begins to open up. That's beautiful. I love it. And yeah. uh, I love this blending of the practice of the movement with the asanas, doing some breath work, and then capping it off with meditation and weaving all those together. I just, I absolutely love it. So yeah. thank you for weaving them together. Uh, my pleasure. Okay. Can I, I want to try something real quick. Yeah. yeah. So all of those things you just mentioned are gateways to, and then you complete the sentence. What are the gateways uh, to? All of those things are gateways to true nature, mm. to our true nature. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. They're really gateways to right now. Yeah. And the, the mysteries of the universe, you know? I know a lot of people who have suffered with major back pain, including myself. So it was great to hear what worked for Luke and the pivotal nature of reframing the solution to be as much inside himself as it was outside solutions. Now, of course, there's a time and a place for external solutions, but at the same time, it's the inner ones that are the easiest to miss. So I really appreciate Luke sharing his with us. Next up, we talk about the connection between psychedelic experiences and meditation. And we hear Luke's clever and spacious definition of nature, along with how he microdoses the aliveness of nature that's always wonderfully on offer. Let's talk about the connection between psychedelics and mindfulness practices. Hmm. I want to read a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson's book, Nature, which, by the way, he published in like 1836, if I'm getting that right. Yeah, we'll use this as a way to talk about this connection between psychedelics and, and meditation-like practices, I'll say. Yeah, right. So here's the quote. 
Standing on the bare ground, my head bathed in the blithe air, uplifted into infinite space. All mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing. I see all. The currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or particle of God. End quote, unquote. Fantastic. So when I read that, I thought that sounds a lot like meditation, but it also sounds a lot like a psychedelic experience. And some people mm-hmm. hypothesize that maybe he was on mushrooms or something. But what do you make of that quote? It First, it reminded me of a book by a guy named Douglas Harding called On Having No Head. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this book, I think in the 50s, where he essentially describes his experience of seeing out through his eyes, but recognizing that he has no head there. And Sam Harris really gets into this. Um, in a recent conversation mm-hmm. Sam Harris just had with Locke Kelly, they dive right into it. Um, uh, I think that, I, I like that he says, like, I am either God or a particle of God or both, or maybe neither, you know? Because um, it's this paradox. It's this, this mm-hmm. like tremendous paradox of witness and, and subject, subject and object. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that my psychedelic experiences have ranged from, from being like in tremendous unified, open, single eye, single ear, single nose, single being consciousness to like very, um, interpersonal about my own life and the choices I've made in my life and my future and what I should do with my future and my emotions and my baggage, you know, in, in a way, Jeff, it, it reminds me of this thing I heard about Maharishi Mm. that, um, when his students asked him about levitation, um, he, they said, basically, how do you levitate? And he said, you have to be very light. (laughs) And then they, then they just, then everybody just stopped kind of around, like scratching their head. And he just said, I am very light. And if you go deeper into that, what he's really doing is kind of like speaking to this, this aspect of non-duality, which is the formless. You have to realize the formless, not just in the form, but as the form. And there's the paradox, right? Mm. Form is emptiness. Emptiness is mm. form. Form is exactly an emptiness. Emptiness is exactly form. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but you know, I don't know, maybe I'm saying the wrong name of science, but I think quantum physics actually will identify this, that all Mm. things that seem apparently solid Mm. are a play of vibrating, moving molecules. Mm -hmm. You know, what is the essence of the energy that is constantly changing form, but that which cannot be destroyed, right? Mm. It, it, it can't be destroyed, but it can only change form, you know? Um, so, you know, I've had this debate with a couple of friends of like, is a glimpse or a really big quote unquote awakening through a psychedelic valid. Mm. Right. I don't, I think there's only one. Oh, you mean like taking the elevator to the top of the mountain instead of walking up the mountain like that, valid that way? Like if somebody like, had in, in what's it called in, in Buddhism, um, a Kensho experience, okay. right? Um, where they kind of saw through 
the illusion and realize the nature of reality. Yeah. But they were on a you know, 5-MeO-DMT or an ayahuasca or a large dose of LSD or psilocybin or masculine yeah. or, or you name it. Right. Yeah. But, and they, but they had a clear like knowing and beyond the known mm. of, of true nature. Mm-hmm. Is that valid because they were under the influence of a substance, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, got it. And I think it's a, I think, I think the only person that can determine that is the individual who had the experience yeah especially in the case where they recognized that there was where they may have had the 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 full realization that there was no one experiencing it yeah yeah Yeah, i kind of view it as one i mean i think for for emerson and what we're talking about you know from I'll go from a scientific lens for a minute, even though it won't sound that way is the mystical experience, you know, it's maybe, uh, you know, this is this scale. There's actually a scientific scale on this. That's in the surveys around psychedelic studies and many other types of studies. Yep. Um, and one of the hallmarks of the mystical experience is that you feel connected and one with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know from, uh, from fMRI scans that, um, you know, the, the cluster of the brain called the default mode network, which mm-hmm. is kind of attributed as being the ego, you yeah, know, and the, writes mind. the story of herself right. yeah. goes not fully offline, but goes pretty damn quiet. So it seems to be some connection between, but that's a very, um, scientific lens for a moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I kind of view it as like, I, I don't know why wouldn't it be valid? It's like, like we were just saying earlier, there's all these different, you know, gateways or, entry points into greater insight you know sometimes it's a a light uh splash of water on the face sometimes it's a power washer to your whole body being totally (laughs) but i think it's normal i think it's beautiful that we have these like we have we have this ability to kind of like begin to really kind of scratch and sniff around and dig around for like what is really going on here what is this yeah but i think it's also equally valuable when we from doing some of that work in whatever ways it is psychedelics, meditation, yeah. Hiking. Yeah. Gardening, whatever. There's so many ways in, but you come to a place and you just go, uh, not knowing, not knowing is most intimate. And that, where does that deposit you besides right in the experience that you're having right now? Mm. Yeah. 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 And then cool. I do want to say, just as a bit of a caveat for anybody listening to this, like I am not a proponent. I am not like a, I am not like promoting the use of psychedelics. I think it's a very personal choice. I think mm-hmm. somebody needs to be of sound mind. I think that if people are to use and experiment with psychedelics, that they need to know what they're getting into, which can be strongly destabilizing it can mm-hmm. really bring up a lot of stored trauma in the body it, it can be a dangerous experience um while in the same breath i'll say that they are can and can be tremendously powerful tools for deep insight into mm-hmm. self and healing and mystery and yeah yeah can I go to the other side, other end of that spectrum and yeah. say, I would say that thank you for the disclaimer. Cause I feel the same about psychedelics. Not, we're not pushing it on anyone. We're not promoting it. Choose your own path and, uh, choose wisely. Yeah. 
at the same time, I'd say the same for meditation. I don't think we're trying to push meditation yep. or yoga on anybody, you know, choose your own path and choose wisely. There are lots of different ways into this bigger thing that we're talking about, which yeah. is being right here right now. Totally. And not the truth. Yeah. Luke, how do you define nature? That's hard, is it? No, that's the, that's the answer. <laughs> um, I like in that. part. <laughs> the silence. The silence. Oh, that's beautiful. Explain. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's such an aliveness. Silence is so pregnant mm. with potency and it's in everything. Mm. And including us. Not just in us. I mean, it, it, it is us on a deeper level. Mm. Um, you know, there's a great story in Zen where somebody asked, uh, a, a monk asked a master, master, what is Zen? And in a way, it's sort of like, I'm not, we're not, you're not monk and I'm not master, but it's like two people engaging. Like, what is nature? It's kind of the same question. It's not nature. It's alive. That's what the master said. It's mm. not Zen. It's alive. Mm. You know, and uh, the beauty of it being a surfer and a snowboarder and somebody who's been so blessed in life to travel to awesome places, particularly awesome, natural, brilliant, vibrant, dramatic places in this on this alive planet. Um, even if they seem fixed, they're not. It's constantly changing in different moods and even... And even in a day, the range of different, like the quality of light in, and temperature and these kinds of changes, this constant, in the constant being in flux. Mm. Yeah. I love it. I really experienced that silence yesterday. Kirsten and I went on a hike too. And even though I could hear the road off in the distance, just being a little bit deeper into this canyon was so quiet it's beautiful man so but you know I feel it you know the beauty through and i found this through practice and through a couple of different teachers and applied and um integrated into my experience is that the analogy of um all phenomenon so sounds sights things that we can touch things that we can taste thoughts emotions all phenomenon are the same thing. Are, are, no, all phenomenon are clothing for the nakedness of mind. Just like you and I are sitting here, mm. there's two naked bodies sitting here, but they're obscured by clothing. Mm. It doesn't mean that the nakedness isn't here. Mm. It's just not obvious, right? And silence is like that for people. Like it's always already right here, mm. you know? And that's like really like that's, that's the, the, the fierce, force and soft love of nature is that you know mm. yeah. beautiful brother i love yeah. that one yeah what are a few ways that you like to microdose nature regularly that you'd recommend for others mm. um well i surf whenever i can i don't recommend that for anybody there's enough people <laughs> yeah it's not good to start now <laughs> no, don't start now <laughs> surfers that are the worst water's really dirty let me tell you um uh um, getting 
getting honestly the simplicity of put your eyes in the sky. Hmm. That's a good starting place. Put your eyes on something that isn't made by men and let your awareness come into the experience of it. Put your, start with your attention, with your eyes, maybe your ears, like if it's a stream or the ocean, and let your awareness, let, let, it, let yourself begin to experience it from your body, with your body. And then, and then gradually, if you're lucky, you begin to experience it as your body, as your body of awareness. Um, those are micro things I do a lot, you know, and recognize the nature of change happening right in front of your eyes. Even like clouds are a great example. Not one that I'm particularly engaging in all the time, but like it's, it's very rare that you naturally glimpse, oh, those clouds are moving, right? But sometimes you just catch it and you just like, it just becomes obvious like in the field of experience that you're having like oh, i see the clouds moving right now and breath is you know right there with you right in the body in this present moment it's the clouds are moving or wind that moves through the trees or like listening to the rains or i love chimes i have chimes mm -hmm. because they're actually a beautiful touch point between oftentimes even quiet wind that's touching them and then the way that nature or the aliveness uh, is singing just for you doing it just for you you know that's perfect yeah it's like it's speaking directly to you where what's a good place for people to connect with your work mm. you teach a lot of different things where would yeah. you like to send people and also what what's coming new what do you what's what's yeah. next um, my website is innerecho.com, I-N-N-E-R-E-C-H-O -E -H O.com. Um, I have a workshop that I'll be doing in San Diego uh, once a month at different yoga studios. It's, it's kind of two and a half hours. It's practice-based. It's called Presence Resonance. Um, and that's really the essence of what I want to share with people is like there's a resonant field of experience inside of the body, quote-unquote inside of the body, as well as around the body, in the resonance of what we experience with other human beings and the natural world and the Meme world all in the same. Um, this workshop gets into these three like levels of practice of, of body, breath, and mind really to dive into this aspect of heart mind, which is present in all of them. I work pe privately with people. So if people want to have a, an experience of what I offer, I offer like a 20 minute drop in into, um, direct presence experience. And then I do private sessions with people. I do kind of private mentorship. And then a Breath Collective, I co-own it with Reese. Um, and uh, we, we, we run, run it in a range of ways. We have a daily platform that's live breathing. We have a month-long intensive. We have come, one coming up in March. Um, we have in-person retreats. Um, and then we offer a facilitator training. And um, it's just growing and it's exciting. It's a kind of a pretty pretty vibrant community and a lot of really fun people in it and excited people about breath and presence and connection. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Luke Winson. Thank you for being a teacher, uh, a forever student. And thanks for being here today, man. Well, Jeff, it is a mirror reflection. Truly. It's an honor to get to share presence and, and, conversation about things that I find fascinating and uplifting and I hope your audience gets a taste of the same. Thanks brother. Thanks man.
Thank you, Brother Luke, for sharing your experiences, your stoke, and the wisdom you've gained from being a perpetual student. In this modern life, the system can easily pull each of us to look outside of ourselves for the answers. And whenever I spend time with Luke, I'm reminded of the beauty that's already right here with us at all times, and the importance of the practices that bring us into that juicy place called right now. I hope you feel the same. As always, thanks for tuning in to Nature Junkie Radio. I invite you to head over to our website at naturejunkielife.com for show notes, to learn more about Nature Connection, and to sign up for our newsletter. And one last thing, please share how you microdose nature so I can share it with everyone in a future episode of the podcast. It's simple. Just get out your phone, record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute, tell me your first name, where you're from, describe how you microdose nature, and importantly, how does it make you feel? Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. That's hello at naturejunkielife.com, and that's all it takes. Thanks so much in advance, and as always, thanks for listening to Nature Junkie Radio. Microdose nature and replenish your stoke.